Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The evidence, not my evidence, biblical, yes, but extra biblical evidence overwhelmingly supports the idea that Jesus Christ lived, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and that Jesus Christ's body disappeared. You got to decide what happened. You got to figure out what happened. There are only so many options as to what could have happened to the body. The empty tomb. It's a subject of discussion and investigation even today, 2,000 years removed from the events we know as Easter Sunday. And it's no wonder that it's still debated today, because needless to say, there's a lot riding on the validity of the empty tomb. If he was who he claimed to be, and if he did what he did, if he came back to life, that makes him God. And it it seems rational to me to believe that God could do miraculous things. If the God described in the Bible is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, then it seems to me quite rational to believe that he could rise from the dead. He could come back to life. Hello and welcome to a special Resurrection Sunday edition of Crosswalk. Easter Sunday has been a day of commemoration and celebration for followers of Jesus down through the years. For 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have claimed that Jesus came back to life and walked out of the tomb early on the third day after his crucifixion. Of course the cross matters. The cross was the place where Jesus intended to come and to die for the sins of the world, to be the substitutionary atonement for the sins of the world. And today, Pastor Clay is taking us to John chapter 20, where we will see that the empty tomb is both real and real important. Now, here's Pastor Clay. I had a conversation with a gentleman named uh, Ryan. I don't think Ryan's here. Are you here, Ryan? I invited Ryan to come. I had a conversation with Ryan. I was. Uh, selling something on Craigslist, a deck box that we just don't use anymore. And, and Ryan came to look at the deck box, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy, and very talkative, very talkative, just, you know, talked a lot. Could not have been a nicer guy. Um, and as we're having this conversation, as we're talking, he's talking about the, the trees and the flowers and the azaleas are in bloom and, you know, and the storms we've had. And we just, just he, he, was, he was talking about everything. Uh, birds and he's, all this kind of stuff, and he's he talking about everything. And of course, as we're having this uh, conversation, uh, in my mind, I'm asking myself a question. And by now, if you've been at Cross Culture for a while, you know what that question is. In my mind, I'm asking the question, where will Ryan spend eternity? Because that's what we need to do. That's what we need to think is from an eternal perspective. So, so that I'm not just thinking about, am I going to get my, my uh, 40 or 50 bucks for this box? And where is Ryan going to spend eternity? And so we're talking, actually Ryan's doing most of the talking, I'm doing most of the listening, but uh, as he's talking at some point, I notice that Ryan has a WWJD uh, necklace on his neck. Now, uh, if, if you were to see a person with a what would Jesus do necklace on, uh, no one would fault you for assuming that that person is a follower of Jesus Christ. But that was not the case. And as Ryan, uh, as Ryan talked, and, and the more Ryan talked, like I said, it wasn't anything you see. He just couldn't have been a nicer guy. But I, but I began, began to get the impression that, that Ryan didn't know Christ as his, as his 
personal Savior. But in the process of his conversation at, at, at some point, because I'm asking the question, where will Ryan spend eternity? I'm looking for an opportunity to perhaps say something of a spiritual value or invite him or something like that. And so I did. I, I said, Ryan, listen, uh, I, I don't know if you go to church or if you care about church or anything. I said, but uh, I noticed your WWJD uh, necklace on. If, if you don't have a place to go, I'd l- love to invite you to come to Cross Culture Church this coming Sunday. We're going to ta- be talking about what is it about Christianity that makes a difference. What, what it is uh, that not only what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do and why that impacts all of human history as a result of it. Ryan's response was one that I have encountered more and more frequently as of late. Ryan said, well, I really consider myself more of a spiritual person and not so much a religious person. That is an answer I'm hearing more and more in the postmodern world in which we live. And then he went on to say, because, you know, there are so many different beliefs out there. There are so many different religions. There are so many different ideas of people of, of, of what they believe and, and all that uh, sort of thing. And at some point I had the opportunity to say, Ryan, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. There, there are so many different religions, so many different beliefs out there. But Ryan, can I just say this to you? It doesn't mean that they're all right. 26 Uh, ideas doesn't mean that all 26 are correct. Whether you're talking about uh, how to start a grill or where you're going to spend eternity. It doesn't mean just because there are multiple ideas that they're all correct. And I said, if you'll come Sunday, we're going to look at some some truth as to what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Because Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is a good Sunday to talk about that sort of thing. There is not, there's not a person with an ounce of intellectual integrity and honesty that would, that would refute the fact that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, was a real person that lived in Israel 2,000 years ago. Virtually everyone who has looked at it historically... Christian and non-Christian is in agreement that Jesus of Nazareth lived, gathered a following, got in trouble with the religious leaders of his day, and was put to death by crucifixion by the Romans outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Virtually everyone who has looked at it at all would be in total agreement with that fact. Jesus of Nazareth lived, Jesus of Nazareth died, was crucified on the cross. It is what happened after he was taken down off of that cross that has become the source of debate through the years. Because, and some of you have heard me uh, say this before, everything, listen to me, Everything hinges on the resurrection. Everything hinges on the resurrection. Now, if you would say, well, uh, well okay, well, what are, you, are you saying the cross doesn't matter? Or are you saying that the, 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 the cross doesn't, doesn't make any difference? What I am saying, and this may shock some of you, what I am saying is the cross makes no difference without the empty tomb. Now, before you... Burn me at the stake for being a heretic, if you're thinking about that. Let's see if the Apostle Paul agrees with me 
on that statement. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if Christ has not been raised, if there's no resurrection, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ from the dead, whom He did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Do you you hear the rationality in his argument here? For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Of course the cross matters. The cross was, was, was the intention from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world. Christ crucified before the foundation of the world, Paul writes somewhere else. Of course the cross matters. The cross was the place where Jesus intended to come and to die for the sins of the world. To be, to use the theological term, to be the substitutionary atonement for the sins of the world. Of course the cross matters. But the empty tomb, the resurrection, is the evidence that God the Father accepted the atoning sacrifice of the Son. You cannot separate one without the other. You could could think of it this way. You could say that the cross paid it and the empty tomb displayed it. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to walk you through a couple of ideas this morning based on John's account. Of course, all Four gospel writers give us an account, some account of the crucifixion, some account of the resurrection. Today we're looking primarily at John's account. If you have a copy of God's Word, hard copy, on your phone, on your iPad, whatever the case may be, John chapter 20 is where we're going to be. The text is going to be up on the screen as well, so if that's uh, more convenient for you, you certainly can do that. John chapter 20, going to be talking about a couple different ideas and sharing some things off of that, okay? Let's start with this idea this morning. The empty tomb is real. The empty tomb is real. Now, stay with me on this, and I'm going to try, hopefully explain to you why that statement is so important. Let me read uh, verses 1 through 10 this morning from John chapter 20. Uh, listen, uh, Resurrection Sunday, going to read the great story. If you're able, if you're able, would you just stand this morning as we read this, these first 10 verses? Uh, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together. And the other disciple, who was John, by the way, the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples went away again 
to their own homes. Father, uh, today as we, as we just look into this marvelous, miraculous, in some sense inconceivable event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would help us to look at it uh, through eyes of faith, but understand what that, the kind of faith that you ask us to have means. I, I really do not think that it's a blind check your brains at the door kind of faith, but a faith that is, that is backed up. Help us understand that today. And then, and then what, when I walk out these doors today, what is the significance? What, what is the significance of the resurrection for my life today, April 21st, 2019, and for next week in my workplace or home place or whatever place that I will be? What is, what is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this event that supposedly happened 2,000 years ago? What is its meaning, impact, significance for my life today? That's what I would ask, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Mary has gone to the tomb to finish completing the burial process. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But when she gets there, uh, the the stone has been rolled away. She goes running back to uh, Peter and John and informs them that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. That's not something you would expect. Peter and John tear out for the tomb, running, obviously as fast as they can, because, because John actually outruns Peter. He was probably maybe smaller, obviously swifter, uh, maybe he was in better shape, but whatever the case may be, John runs ahead of Peter and he gets to the tomb first. And sure enough, the, tomb, the, the stone has been rolled away. The text says that John apparently because of, his, of being a bit timid, and, and there's evidence that in his younger life, as a young man, John was a bit uh, timid. But because of that, John uh, doesn't, doesn't enter the tomb right away. Uh, he, he, just, he just leans in. He, he looks in. And I want you to notice something about the, the text. I want you to notice something about what John is writing as an historical event that he's recording. In, uh, in the first part of verse 5, he says, And stooping and looking in... He saw the linen wrappings lying there. The linen wrappings are the grave clothes. They are what Jesus' body has been wrapped in, along with some spices and different things as part of the burial process uh, that, uh, in some sense, not, not as Egyptians would know, but in some sense, it's almost a mummification-type process, uh, trying to protect uh, the body. Uh, he, 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 John leans in, and he, he saw, the text says, the linen wrappings lying uh, there is, is inserted, but he saw the linen wrappings lying. The word lying in Greek, the language that the New Testament was originally written in, is kaimena, and it means to be, to be laid. There's an intentionality about it. To be set. It, it even means to appoint, to enact, to establish. So it seems to carry this idea of an intentionality, a, um, a, a form, a spirit, specificity to this event and what's happening. So John goes out of his way to say to us, this is what's happening here, John's going out of his way to say to us that he took notice of the, the grave clothes, the linen wrappings. There was something about the linen wrappings that was unusual. Something about the grave clothes that, that was peculiar or that caught John's attention. 
Peter arrives on the scene, finally, probably huffing and puffing, but because Peter doesn't have a timid bone in his body, Peter just rushes right on into the tomb. And notice that uh, John records that Peter, it says, uh, Peter beheld the linen wrappings lying. It's a, it's a different word from saw. Uh, John saw them and took notice of them. Uh, Peter beheld them. The Greek word that's translated beheld carries the idea of studied or examined. Peter enters in. He looks around. He sees the linen wrappings. He sees the, the burial clothes. And he beholds them. He examines them. He studies them. Again, what's John telling us? John's saying, hey, hey folks. I know you're going to be reading this hundreds, maybe thousands of years later. Listen to me. Pay attention. There's something about these grave clothes that are different. There's something odd about the grave clothes. Peter, uh, it even goes on to say that Peter took notice that the, uh, the, 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 the death uh, napkin, the facial mask uh, napkin that was placed over a person when they died as part of that whole wrapping process. Peter, John records that Peter noticed that it was, it was, it was placed over to the side, specifically over to the side, and it was rolled up literally translated it was folded up so again it's the the napkin it's it's not just strewn it's not just it's 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 placed carefully over it's folded up a specific way and john is saying hey hey look look there's something odd here there's something going on here now here's what i would propose to you peter and john and, and all the disciples got a lot of stuff wrong right Wrong, right? They got a lot of stuff wrong, but they dearly loved Jesus. They had spent the last three and a half years with this man, following his teaching and and being a part of his work and his miracles and all of that sort of thing. He had been ripped away from them in the dark of night. They had been grieving his loss for three days and hiding in fear. And suddenly Mary shows up at the door I have no doubt, tears streaming down, half hysterical, something about the stone being rolled away, and and they've taken uh, our master away, and here they go, they rip off, they tear off down the road, and and they get down there, and I propose to you that that when when Peter and John get there, the last thing, well, let me put it this way, when they get there, they're looking for one thing and one thing only, the body of Jesus. That's the only thing they're looking for. Where's Jesus? What did they do with Jesus? Where have they carried Jesus? They're looking for one thing in that tomb and one thing only, and it is the body of Jesus. So I propose to you that based on what John is saying here, that, that they would not have even given the grave clothes much of a thought at all if there had not been something significant or unique about them that caught their attention. And and. And the implication seems to be with this whole idea of lying and what that means and, and they're taking notice of something strange. The, the significance seems to be that, that, the, that the clothes, the wrappings that the, the body was wound in were still in the very shape in which they had originally been when the body was in there except now the body was gone. Which, by the way, makes sense because the wrappings, as I said a moment ago, included different kinds of spices, and it was all intended to be sort of a hardening type process or where the strips of cloth would stick to the body. And now it's, they're laying there, they're, they're, they're in that exact form, except the body isn't there. And when John finally gets up the nerve 
to enter into the tomb, the text says he, he, that the, when John finally comes in, it clicks for John. It says he believes. He understands. He understands. It, it, if, the, if the body had been stolen, which is one of the ideas that has been suggested to try and explain, because I said the, the, it's, it's an established historical fact that the tomb was empty. That's an historic fact that's, that something happened. If the body had been stolen, who is, gonna, is going to take the time to unwrap the linen wrappings of a body while guarded by Roman soldiers, who's going to take the time to unwrap the linen wrappings and place them neatly back in the exact form that they were in? Who's going to do that in the midst of all this? And, and even if they could, by the way, and the simple answer is nobody. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to take the time to do that when Roman soldiers are guarding this. And, and you understand? Nobody's going to do this. So it clicks for John, if the body had been stolen, there, there wouldn't even be any grave clothes. There wouldn't even be any, they wouldn't even be there. And if Jesus, because this is also another suggestion of what possibly could have happened to the body, if Jesus hadn't really died, and that, that has been proposed, if Jesus just passed out on the cross and wasn't really dead, if the Roman official given the responsibility of declaring a person dead, much like a coroner in our day, if he was mistaken and Jesus wasn't really dead even though he declared him dead, even if his disciples were mistaken as they took him down off the cross because they believed he was dead, even as they began preparing his body for uh, burial because they believed he, is, he was dead, even if they were all wrong and Jesus had actually been alive and, and in the tomb he, he woke up and he got up well, then quite honestly, the linen wrappings, if he could even get them off. Because you remember just about a week earlier, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And you remember what, when Lazarus came out, you remember what Jesus said? Unbind him. Because he's all wrapped up in these linen wrappings. So even if he even could uh, unwrap him himself, the, the, the grave clothes, you understand? They, w- they would have been strewn everywhere. They, they would have been all over the place. They would have been torn. They would have been whatever the case may be. They would not have been in the, in the fashion and the form, literally the form that they were in. And so John gets it. He says, this is it. And that's why the text says right after that, because up until this point, they didn't understand that he was going to rise from the dead, even though he had said it a number of times. We disciples can be thick-headed at times, can't we? Do you understand? What, what I'm saying to you is, ladies and gentlemen, as, as an historical fact, the empty tomb is real. It's a real event that transpired. Miraculous, yes. Yes, and if you say, well, I don't believe in miracles, well, then you got a problem. But, but I would propose to you that, that if he was who he claimed to be, and if he did what he did, if he came back to life, it, that makes him God by default. And, and it, it seems rational to me to believe that God could do miraculous things. If, if the God described in the Bible is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, then it seems to me quite rational to believe that he could rise from the dead. He could come back to life. Okay, I like to do this from time to time. Uh, I like to quote smart people because, because in some instances, there, there is this idea out there that, as, even as I think I prayed earlier in the service, that Christians, they just, they just check their brains at the door and come in and believe whatever that guy stands up there and says. They just believe it. Or that, or that Christians are some, somehow backwards or... or uneducated or, or whatever else the case may be. There is that idea, that mystique that kind of floats out there if you've ever caught any of Bill Maher or anything like that. So, so let, let's, let's see what some smart people have to say about it. Um, 
This is uh, William Lyon Phelps, a Yale Distinguished Professor of English Literature. In the whole story of Jesus Christ, the most important event is the resurrection. The names of those who saw him after his triumph over death are recorded, and it may be said that the historical evidence for the resurrection, listen to what he's saying now, the historical evidence for the resurrection is stronger than for any other miracle anywhere narrated. How about this one? We must take the evidence of experts as to the age and authenticity of this writing, just as we take the facts of astronomy on the evidence of astronomers who do not contradict each other. If a study is conducted with what eminent lawyers have called a willing mind, in other words, if you're you're willing, if you're actually open to, to examine the evidence, it will engender a deep assurance. See, you know this guy's smart. He uses big words. It will engender a deep assurance that the Christian church is not founded on fictions or nourished on delusions or, as St. Peter calls them, cunningly devised fables, but on historical and actual events, which, however strange they may be, are indeed the greatest events which have ever happened in the history of the world. That's Ambrose Fleming. Emeritus Professor of Electrical Engineering, University of London. That sounds like a smart guy to me. The evidence for our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be, and often has been, shown to be satisfactory. The evidence of it. It is good, according to the common rules of distinguishing good evidence from bad, just using the common rules that you would to decide the truth of anything, any case, thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece, as carefully as every judge summing up on a most important case. Watch this. I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Did you hear what he said? I know of no other fact in human history that is more easily uh, provable than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Professor Thomas Arnold, not Roseanne's ex-husband. Professor Tom Arnold, really smart dude. And then, uh, and then finally, Brooke Foster uh, Westcott, professor at Cambridge University. It is not too much to say that there is no historic in- incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. You understand what I'm saying to you folks? This is real. This is real, not because I'm standing up here and saying this, but because that's what the evidence supports. And part of that evidence is found right here in John as an eyewitness, and he's telling us something about these grave clothes that are distinguishable, that are different. Now, listen, here's what this means for for you and me as we think about it. Here's one of the things that it means. It means, first off, that you and I have a supported faith. We have a supported faith. Now, someone might say, well, I, I, don't, I don't need support for my faith. I, I can just believe. Well, that's fine. You're in good company. That, that's, that's how the Muslims believe. That's how the Buddhists believe. That's how the Mormons believe. They just, they just believe. But I'm telling you, God doesn't ask us to do that. God doesn't ask our faith just to be built on some thought or emotional feeling or, or whatever. As a matter of fact, uh, throughout all of creation, God's evidence of his existence and of his power and of his plans and purposes are, are on full display. Uh, Psalm 
97 verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples have seen his glory. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 says that people uh, are, are indicted. They're indicting themselves. They, they are guilty uh, because of their refusal to recognize the evidence which God has made so plainly clear. Verse 24, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. We could talk for hours, ladies and gentlemen, truly, we could talk for hours about the evidences for, uh, for God's very existence, for the, the complexity of the universe, the design that is so apparent in the universe, the beauty, the intricacy, the creativity, the, the historical and scientific accuracy uh, of Scripture. So many things that we could talk about that point to to historical evidence, empirical evidence for the reality that God is and that God did this thing, but right at the top of the evidences that you and I would ever look at in our life is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because as those smart guys said, and as I echo their words, it is the most historically verifiable event in all of ancient history. The empty tomb is real. Now, let me tell you what else that means for us. It also means that not only is, do we have this, this, uh, this faith, but we have a powerful tool. We have this powerful tool for sharing our faith with those around us. Be they whatever, their belief system or no belief system, atheist or, or Hindu or Muslim or, or whatever. And by the way, I have no problem with them sharing their beliefs with me either. But we have a powerful tool in a, at our disposal to use because we have the historical evidence for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and when I say engaging people around us, whatever their belief system or not belief system, which is a belief system, by the way, but, but whatever their belief system, I'm, never, I'm not talking about being rude or, or uh, you know, inflammatory or argumentative, although I, I confess that sometimes it's hard uh, because way the other person engages in it, it's hard to not become argumentative. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is, as Peter uh, writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Why do you believe what you believe? That's what Peter's saying. Why do you have this hope that is in you? Yet, with gentleness and with reverence. To be able to engage... So, so say, for instance... To be able to engage an atheist who says, well, I don't, I don't believe in God. You can respond by saying, really? Oh, that's interesting. What do you do with the empty tomb? Now, first off, you, you, you've completely thrown them off their, off their game with that because they're not expecting the, the empty tomb to come up in a conversation about the existence of God. But you've got to deal with it. It's an historical fact. You have to deal with this thing. So what do you, what do, you do with the empty tomb? Whatever, you might get multiple answers, but eventually you're probably going to get around to some sort of answer like, well, I, I, I just don't, know, I don't believe that any of that ever happened. Well, now you're just being intellectually dishonest because the evidence, not my evidence, but the evidence, biblical, yes, but extra-biblical evidence overwhelmingly supports the idea that Jesus Christ lived, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and that Jesus Christ's body disappeared. You've got to decide what happened. You've got to figure out what happened. There are only so many options as to what could have happened to the body, and you've got to figure out where you are. You've got to deal with it. So with, with whoever it is. Now, don't they have a right to believe what they do? Of course they do. 
A person has a right to believe anything they want, to worship the God that they desire to worship. They, they have the right to do that. And I'm not going to say they, they don't, but I, I'm just going to say, why would you? I, I mean, no offense. This is, again, this is historical fact. Muhammad, dead. Krishna, dead. Buddhism and its fountain, dead. I, I'm just saying, you have the right to worship and believe whatever you want. Why would you when the evidence is so overwhelming for the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You see, this, this is a powerful tool to be used in the right way, in the way that would honor God. All right, real quickly, let me give you the second idea. The empty tomb is real important. It's real, and it's real important. Verse 11, let me read it to you. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. As I said a moment ago, the burial process uh, that was conducted was not able to be finished. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had taken Jesus' body off of the cross, and, and we know uh, from John 19 that hey, they'd begun the process of the wrappings and the, uh, the, the spices and, and all that was involved, and they'd begun that process. But in, in, in Israel, in a, in a Hebrew calendar, the next day starts at sundown, and at sundown, was Sabbath started, and the Passover uh, began. And no Jew could touch a dead body during Sabbath and, and, and certainly during a, a, a holy festival like the Passover. And so they started the process, but they had to quit until the Passover was finished. And so three days later, here comes Mary. By the way, Mark tells us that there were other women with uh, Mary at the time. John focuses on Mary because that's the storyline he's following. And Mark tells us that as they're making their way to the tomb early in the morning, they're already discussing, the women are already discussing, see, because that's just like women. Y'all just do it, man. Y'all are already thinking three steps ahead about everything that's got to be done for the day, right? Men are like, I don't, I don't know, whatever. We'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. But the, but the women are already discussing who's, who's going who's gonna to move the stone for us. That was a problem they were not going to have to deal with. Because when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. The stone had been rolled away. Listen, Mary, I just don't believe this. In some sense, there's no way Mary's looking forward to this, to this thing that she has to do. She, her, her grief must have been overwhelming. But she's doing it out of loyalty and out of love. And she goes to the tomb and she finds these angels here and she, and she, and she encounters Jesus. By the way, it's always been a source of discussion. Why didn't Mary recognize Jesus when, when he, she ran into him. 
Some people have said that when she turned around from the tomb, she, maybe she was facing east and, and uh, the sunlight was at Jesus' back and, and she just couldn't quite make out who it was. And I guess that could be the, the case. But you know what I think more than anything else? I, I just think that, that, that her mind simply would not let her think that it was actually Jesus. Because the last time she had seen Jesus, he had been beaten beyond recognition, bloody, and uh, let's see, what else? Oh yeah, dead. He's dead. And I don't think her, her rational mind would let her think that Jesus has now come back to life. But you notice that it's when he says her name that, the, if you will, almost the scales fall off of her eyes. It's when, it's when he speaks her name. No doubt Jesus had called Mary by name many times. There's something very personal about that. And it, and it says to me, it reminds me, that there is a difference between knowing who Jesus is and knowing Jesus in a personal and intimate way. It's not enough to just, to just know Jesus or know who Jesus was or to hear about Jesus or say, yeah, I, I, I believe in Jesus, I believe that happened, but to know him personally in an intimate way. And when Jesus says, Mary, she, she, Rabboni, it's you, you're really alive. Listen, this is a, this is a really big deal that, that this event occurred because uh, Romans uh, chapter uh, 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's a big deal because, 1 Corinthians, I quoted some of these texts earlier, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. It's worthless. It's nothing. Uh, Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are most... To be pitied. If, you understand what, what Paul's saying there? If the resurrection did not occur, then, then this, this whole thing is a joke. And the joke's on us. If this didn't really happen, all of this is for nothing. So it's real important. I like the way Josh McDowell and his epic work... Uh, on defense of Christianity, evidence that demands a verdict. He said, I've come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men or it is the most fantastic fact of history. See, you you, you have to decide where you come down on that. It's real important because what it gives us, ladies and gentlemen, is a certain hope. A certain hope. You know, hope is a word we use a lot, right? Well, I sure hope I win the lottery. I sure hope my team wins the championship. Maybe we visit a new restaurant. I sure hope the food is good. Hope is a word that we use a lot, but many times when we use the word hope, it's really just another term for wishful thinking, right? Not, not in this case. Not in this case. This is, this is the real deal. This is the certain hope that you and I have for this life. Again, to continue on some in 1 Corinthians 15, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. Remember, he's been, earlier he was saying, if, if Christ had been raised from the dead, your, your faith is in vain, our preaching's in vain, uh, uh, your faith is worthless, da 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 But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. All in Christ, all who place their faith in Christ. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ, 
at his coming. Those who have a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Look further on, these fantastic words. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. There's your hope, ladies and gentlemen. There's your hope. Listen to me. And whatever you face in your life, whatever your daily life looks like, whatever circumstance, trials come into your life, whatever people hurt you, betray you, uh, bail out on you, uh, whatever job situations happen that are terrible, good, awful, whatever the case may be, whatever medical condition you have to experience or go through your life, listen to me. You know a God who kicked death to the curb. What can he not handle in your life? This is a big deal. Because Jesus claimed exclusivity to heaven. He claimed to be. All those other religions, all those other beliefs, everybody's got their right. They can believe whatever. They can. I'm not. But Jesus claimed that he was the only way. Maybe you've read these words in John 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If the resurrection is true, if the grave is empty because Christ came back to life and walked out of the tomb. By the way, I'm going to tell you this earlier. You do know that's why the stone was rolled away. The stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that we could get in and see that he wasn't there. But if the resurrection is true, then that verse right there is also true. And that has huge implications for every single person on this planet. For those of us who believe it and have trusted Christ our Savior, it becomes our responsibility to take that message to the world around us. Not, not to force anyone into in, in, believing, not to, to argue, but to say to people, here's what God says about your problem, your sin. Here's what God said He did about your problem. He sent His Son to die for you. Here, here's the proof that He rose from the, the dead. Now, what, what, is, what does your belief system have? And if what you believe is not correct, would you want to know? You know, I've actually talked with people who said, no, I really wouldn't want to. I've asked them that question before. If what you believe is not correct, would you want to know? I've had people tell me, no, I wouldn't want to know. And I'm just telling you right now, I would want to know because the only thing hanging on this is your eternal destination, my eternal destination. And so I agree with James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary on John where he said we conclude that if men fail to believe it is because they will not believe not because the evidence is lacking so what do you believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because how you answer that question is real important 
Because Jesus conquered the grave, you and I have the certain hope for our lives that we too one day will overcome the grave and live with the Lord for eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. He suffered a death he did not deserve, so we could receive forgiveness that we did not deserve. How ironic that the gravestone rolled in front of Jesus' tomb became the tombstone for death itself. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.